Welcome again to Age Friendly Cities and Communities at Coast Access Radio. As we do every fortnight, we catch up with the woman who knows all about these sorts of things because we've talked to her for a long, long time to do with age-friendly cities and communities. Jill Stansfield joined us once again. Welcome again, Jill. And thank you very, very much for having me because it's always good to be here. should say also with the Kapiti Coast Older Persons Council, and that is still around. For people wondering about the Older Persons um, Council, what are, what are some of the functions of that? It's sort of in conjunction with the Kapiti Council, yes and no? Yeah, to a certain degree, yes, but... Um, it also operates within um, framework of info, etc., that comes from the Office for Seniors. But um, the, of, uh, the Older Persons Council has not been able to be meeting of late thanks to COVID. So, mm. you know, one day I guess we'll be meeting again. But that's so much the case with so many different groups at the moment. Mm. Plus, at the likes of age concern, and that's different again, isn't it? It is, yes, yeah. yes. So I've just come from an age concern meeting. Ah. So, there. Well, it's good to see all that going ahead, and we're getting to some sense of normality. True, yes. Even though you find that when you are with a group that so many, um, what will we say, the conditions imposed by the C thing do change so many of the minor ways in which a group is able to operate. It means a lot of adjustment, to be honest. It's hard to meet over a computer, Zoom and so on, and you just you don't quite get the personalities of people, and people talk over each other, and some people dominate the computer more than others. Face-to-face is much better. I think so too, so it's lovely to be here. Thank it is you. lovely, and it's lovely to have you here. <laughs> We're delighted. Now, you do a lot of reading. You've come across a a stuff article from 2016 that you have kept aside for future reference. Well, let's make it current reference. Yes, well, it's so interesting because even though it is actually dated 15 May 2016, it's got the title, New Zealand Heads for More Elderly Than Children. And it was really interesting to reread the article at this stage. And there was a reference to Professor Natalie Jackson in the article. And that article itself has the title, New Zealand Heads for More Elderly Than Children. That's the actual title of it. What's the definition of elderly? Are we talking 65 years and over? I always assume it's that, but whether or not it is, I don't know. Because I've also got the feeling in the back of my mind that that will vary a little bit according to the organisation. And what's the definition of children? Very good point. I mean, does that finish when you turn 14, 15, 16, 17? It depends what you want to buy, (laughs) whether it's alcohol, whether you want to be charged as an adult. Well, that's, you know, interesting again. I don't know. No, I don't know either. And things do vary one organisation to another, and that to me seems, well, it makes it tricky. Basically what that's saying is there are going to be people living longer, and we realise that. Yeah, and and once upon a time, a hundred was considered to be very, very old, and I'm now reading from this article, but 105 is the new benchmark for longevity as the number of centenarians gets set to soar. <laughs> I know my uncle my uncle in Southern California is going to be 106 this year. My goodness. Uncle Marty, yep. And he's still living pretty much on his own. Well, um, good on him. And yeah, he's, you know, he's got his daughters close by. So yeah, indeed, good on him. 
Well, the interesting thing is that the statistics from uh, Statistics New Zealand show that the number of people, and I'm going back to this 2016 article, but the number of people aged over 65 had increased then, while the number of people in the 0 to 14 age bracket had actually dropped. And in 1998, 23% of the population was in the youngest age bracket, compared with 20% by the time they reached 2016, and the 65-plus age group had grown from 12 to 13%. Mm-hmm. And then, in 2016, the median age was 36.7, which is an increase on the earlier one. Yeah. yeah. However... One thing that is interesting, Natalie, Professor Natalie Jackson, who was at that point in time the, with the National Institute of Demographic and Economic Analysis as their director, said it was no surprise that more people were living past 100. The old benchmark for long life was shifting, with people less surprised when somebody actually reached that milestone. And she quote was quoted as saying, the elderly of today are vitally different to the elderly of the past. You don't need to be a professor or a brain surgeon to know that people are living longer. And that's just a general trend that we're going to have with uh, better conditions, whether they be living conditions, whether they be we're healthier lifestyles. I, I don't know. You know. When will this ever end? Well, this is a very good point that you're making there because today's older persons were all born as the medical breakthroughs helped to reduce the infant mortality rate mm. and the further medical advances meant that new drugs were helping people to stay alive longer. Something you don't think about, really. You take for granted. You sort of do, really. You know, here we are all getting older we've never been as old as we are at this point now <laughs> and now and now but you know that's the sort of thing you think well you're 60 you're 70 but you know do you feel what are you supposed to feel like when you're 60 you're 65 do you retire people don't retire anymore at age 65 no and there is an ever-increasing number of older people but there's a bit of a downside to all this because the country by and large needs to start planning for an older population because of the fact that there are going to be more elderly than children in the population before very long. And, you know, when you think about that, that becomes quite, well, it could be very challenging, couldn't it? Yeah. So that article is still very relevant six, mm. six years on. Now, Professor Jackson has been, what, a key researcher on the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment Project, which is called CADA, NZ? Yeah, I hate to try to pronounce that. And um, the upper and lower case are exactly as I read it on the internet yeah. because I would never put things together in that order either. Okay. But, yeah, she has been, and um, I'm quoting here, a key researcher, as you've said, with the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment project, mm. And that is the actual project itself is capturing the diversity dividend of Aotearoa, New Zealand. And she, this is Professor Natalie Jackson being the she, she is also a consultant researcher on a national science challenge, Ageing Well project. Mm. And personally, I've come to regard 
her research has been very, very helpful to me, particularly in terms of the fact that I've got all these age-friendly interests. Absolutely. She's the sort of person that needs to talk to councils, for example, to make sure that they Mm. have age-friendly in their long-term community plans. I couldn't agree more, yes. Um, Point of interest, uh, I used to be able to find Kabli Coast District Council's reference to age-friendly kapiti in their long-term plan. But when I tried to find it in the most recent version of the long-term plan, I couldn't find it. So I'm going to have to talk with one of their people Mm. and see how and where I can find that research now or that comment, really. I know we've had this discussion before. So is there a specific councillor who is, you know, I know we have, for example, Mm. Sophie Hanford who looks after the youth. Do we have someone in the opposite direction? Probably do, but things have changed. And seeing we haven't had any older persons council meetings for ages, um, I can't really answer that. But Mm. I do know that there has been one in the past. But if anybody wanted to know, I'd simply ring council and ask to speak with that person. Fair enough. All right, well, this has got your brain going a bit then, Jill, hasn't it? (laughs) It definitely has, yeah. And then I began to think about my life and that of others in my age group. And as I've said before, when engaging in conversations with fellow oldies, it usually isn't very long before part of the conversation turns to mobility and accessibility. And if you think about it, you know, um, that is, I suppose, one of the first major milestones that parents recognise when their own babies start to get to the stage of walking. Mm. You know, that level of mobility becomes recognisable as a huge sort of landmark. I mean, in your earlier days, I hesitate to say younger, but in your <laughs> earlier days, I mean, you were quite a mobile person, you know, yeah. sport and tramping and so on, Jill. Yes, and I have actually represented two different provinces in sport, and I've also been a North Island University representative as well. But in more recent years, I developed a big interest in tramping, mm. and I've done many of our great walks, and I was a leader in a tramping club when I lived back up in Hawke's Bay, which meant that I would take groups of up to about 12 to 20 people up into the mountains. And um, sometimes it did used to worry me a wee bit because no matter how much I spoke with people about the importance of being, you know, having adequate clothing, adequate footwear and a a little bit of backup food, invariably there'd be someone in the group who'd go out hopelessly Underprepared. So I always had a big backpack with me. You can guess what was in it. Yes, a complete spare set of warm clothing, even a spare pair of footwear because I just didn't want to be responsible for an accident and the wop-wops. And you like the water as well, didn't you? (laughs) Yes, I did. I, I used to have my own kayak and I've done quite a bit of kayaking too. And I only mention all this because it gives insight into my background and leads me into talking about growing older and how that actually has impinged upon my mobility. Mm. And believe it or not, because I think people realise that I've had a few things go wrong health-wise, but I talk about sort of earlier physical capability has impinged upon my mobility. But I had a couple of different specialists say to me, you know, it's your attitude that has enabled you to recover so well. Well, how come nobody ever told me that? <laughs> now, you know, that's the point, I guess, trying to make it. it is an attitude thing. Getting it in your brain um, 
will not only improve your mental health, but it could also improve your physical health. You just want to get out and about and walk. It doesn't matter what mm. age you are, but you know, a lot of older people just might be sitting around thinking, oh, I'll just sit all day and do nothing type thing. You want to try and encourage people to get out and about and just get some exercise, even if it's 10, 15 minutes on the beach, and you'll find in time that all of a sudden you're out and about and it just helps you with everything. I couldn't agree more. But I think the um, well, the actual experience that people need to have will, I hope, be the sort of experience that will lead them to understand that there is merit in getting out and walking about. And the whole point now is that researchers are now saying you don't have to go and make sure that you walk for half an hour, for instance. So long as you're getting out and doing some, mm. it's so much better than doing none. And it doesn't matter even what you're doing, just getting out and getting out and about. I mean, irrespective of the fact whether you're mobile or you have <laughs> yes. a, a few little issues here and there. Now, you, for example, we know you've got some mobility issues and maybe people are a bit shy going out because they think, oh, there's not enough mobility parking, for example. That's a very, very, very good point. And um, in essence, whereas I used to be able to hop in my car and to go wherever I wanted, never have to think about how I'd manage at the other end, I now have to stop and think, as you've pointed out, will there be mobility parking spaces? And if not upon arrival at my destination, how far will it or will I be from where I plan to go? Mm. You know, the, the other thing that is so difficult sometimes is that um, you, you go to a mobility parking spot and you find that there is often quite a steep or a high curb that you've got to step up. That mm. doesn't make sense. Not really, no. I've seen examples, mostly mobility parks are close by the premises or the shops that mm. you want to be. But in some cases, if you've got a big car park, yes, they'll give you a mobility parks but you still have to walk a little bit of a distance yeah you're quite right and that strikes me as being poor planning in the final analysis but I did have somebody try to explain to me once and and their explanation was well um, these businesses would like to have as many cars as is possible able to park close to their businesses. Now, I won't go any further. People can put one and one together and come up with the obvious two. But, you know, does that really meet the needs of disabled people who are quite a big percentage of our population? Yeah. And you talk about, you know, going up a step or even a series of steps or the ramp sometimes is just not suitable. And sometimes you need somewhere to sit down as well. Yeah, yeah. It's actually very, very hard uh, on many occasions to to find a seat where you can sit. And, you know, just as a total aside, let's think about, say, for instance, going to a bank. Do all banks have seats in places where people have to queue to get to a teller? Mm. That's a good question. Very good, yeah. I mean, you know, long time ago, or maybe not so long ago, you didn't even have to worry about those sort of things. No. no. A lot of people do. Absolutely. Mm. Well, you see, part and parcel of getting older and for the average age of the population increasing is the fact that that will be accompanied, and from my experience anyway, by a bit of an increase in the numbers with 
uh, what do we say, mobility limitations. And, and that's really quite interesting, mm. I think, anyway. And this, but, is all part, and this is all part and parcel of, you know, councils, and I say councils plurally, and their long-term plans, they need to think about, you know, particularly older folk and how to accommodate their needs. Absolutely. Well, Kapiti and Thames Coromandel are the two, I suppose we'd have to say, districts in New Zealand that have the highest percentage of over 65s. Now, that then begs the question, are both of those councils really clued up about how to make places more all-age friendly? Yeah, accessible. Yeah. Now, you have a mobility scooter. That's something relatively new <laughs> for you, isn't it? Yes, it is, it is. But, you know, given the fact that I'm far less mobile than I used to be, and given the fact that I do now have a mobility scooter, I have had to think differently about getting out and about. Because quite suddenly... I guess that because I'm travelling on four wheels instead of two legs, I'm now very, very aware of discrepancies in levels of slabs of concrete that make up our footpaths. I know that might sound a little bit strange, but think about it for a moment. If there are trees along the roadside, as there are near where I live, their roots seem to have lifted one side of some footpath sections, yeah. but not the whole length of the join. Mm. Now, believe me, if you're in a mobility scooter, such irregularities wobble the scooter around like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I can understand that. Have you had any accidents, still? No, no. I'm glad to say I haven't fallen off it yet. Gosh, wouldn't it be embarrassing to have the, fall off the thing and have it tumble down beside you and how the heck would I get up? <laughs> well, that's, that's quite a concern, isn't it? Because mobility scooters are not light. No, no, they're not. I'd hate to try and have to lift one into a, a wherever, yeah, so a van, for instance. You really have to take some time to get used to it. When you, when you do get a mobility scooter, do you get lessons on it? No, no, you don't. But there is a, a book that's been put out by the New Zealand Transport Agency, uh, and it's called Wakatakotahi, yeah. that is classed. The, the title is Keeping Mobile, and it's How to Safely Use Your Mobility Scooter. Oh. This is an older publication, but I'm sure if you sort of rang them up and, and then asked the question, there would be something that would be the equivalent today, even if they don't have this one still available. How interesting. A bit like mm. the road code. Yeah, well, that's true too. Yeah. yeah. But if I think about mobility scooters, it does take a bit to get used to them, for sure. And, oh, I'm going back now to when I first moved down here to the Kapiti Coast. I do recall being, well, more than slightly concerned when I once saw a gentleman on a mobility scooter riding down a dropped curb and then crossing mm. the road. There was so much wobbling that I thought, oh, goodness gracious me, he's going to fall off. So I slowed down just in case I'd be able to leap out and help him if he did mm. fall off and need my assistance. Now you'd think there'd be standards or rules to curbs these days with mobility yeah, scooting um, in mind. Well, there probably are, but the sort of thing that causes me trouble is, or more, most trouble, is the bits where you've had separate concrete laid that hasn't been troweled off completely smooth. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand 
what you're saying there, yeah. And you go from different types of surfaces as well. If you have to cross a road, and they say they've resealed the road with that horrid chip seal. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wobbling all over the place, and then all of a sudden you're on concrete again. Yeah, yeah, no, you're quite right. Yeah. But um, if I go back to my mobility scooter for a moment, there is a big advantage in all that, and that is that it assures me of a good way that I can retain my independence and keep on getting around. And that becomes very, very important as we age because... I was going to say, sorry to interrupt you, but I was going to say, do you find that some (laughs) older people are a bit shy about this and they think, oh, I'm not going to be independent anymore on a mobility scooter and... Do you think they might be a bit embarrassed, like even being in a wheelchair, similar yeah. scenario? Yeah, I, I think that you've hit the nail on the head there. Because if you put yourself into their shoes, you're younger than I am, so it's easier <laughs> for you to do it than to me. You know, you've, well, think about, even if I go back and say think about myself, I was used to having a up to 20 kg backpack on my back and getting up in the mountains. Well, to suddenly find that you can't do that, like you used to, no matter how much you might want to do it, it makes you change the way you think. And I can understand why we have social isolation and loneliness becoming a big worry for some older people. Well, they may not worry about it, but others in their vicinity need to worry because social isolation and loneliness is a cause of or can be found as a cause for some major diseases and conditions, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. And I use the example of, say, our Sandra, who comes in here on a Thursday and helps out on our reception. She's been coming for years and years and years. And only recently she has got a mobility scooter, and I think she was a little worried about it. But now she finds that she just gets out and about and can still do a lot of things on her mobility scooter, and it's given her that freedom again to even come you know, here and see us on a Thursday, which is absolutely marvellous for her own sanity oh, <laughs> um, yeah. and, you know, exercising the brain. Absolutely. And the whole point, too, is that as we, have, I've said many times, as we do get older, social isolation and loneliness do threaten to become a pretty major problem. Mm. And that's frightening when you think of it. Now, there are rules. There are certain rules about mobility scooters. You can't just use them anywhere, can you, or can you? (laughs) No, you can't. And that's another sort of dimension about it, and that's correct usage. And the rules around scooter use say that they are to be used on footpaths where footpaths are available. Or if you do need to travel on the road because there is no footpath, you should keep as close to the side of the road as possible. Mm. And NZTA, as I've said, do have the info available for mobility scooter users. And I'd add it should be for intending users too, I guess, really. Mm. Yeah, low-powered vehicles, they sort of fall into that category. Yep, they do. Yep. And when you're checking out this, I came across a statement of the other low-powered vehicles data showed that mobility scooters had the highest involvement in fatal crashes, although most non-fatal incidents involving mobility scooters were falls or collisions with stationary objects rather than collisions with motor vehicles. Mm. But that's a bit of a timely warning, isn't it? That's for sure. Yeah. 
There are a number of different types of mobility scooters on the market to purchase. Mm. You've got to do a bit of research. It's not just, oh, I'll just get a mobility scooter, just one. There are all sorts of different types. There are. And I, if I think about, because I live in a retirement village now, and if I think about what I see people getting around on there, there is one gentleman who's got a mobility scooter that quite clearly folds up into something, well, you'd have to say really quite small. <laughs> and and that's cl- it's clever. Yeah. And it gives him the opportunity to be able to go away, and he uses it when he goes away. Mm. You know, I mean, travel to different locations, not just local, but like, for instance, going on a holiday to somewhere at the far north, for instance. Can I ask a really stupid question about mobility scooters? Are they all electric? That's a very good question. Yes, I think they are. And they, but I think them, you'll know more about this than me, but I think there might be two types of batteries. I don't know, to you be don't fair, know. but okay. I, I sort of understand the type of scooter that you can just theoretically charge into an ordinary plug. Mm, mm. That's what mine is like. Yeah. Almost like a jug cord type thing, not, <laughs> not quite. Yeah, it is. That's, that's a good way of describing it. It has got a big connection box yeah. that I presume is sort of a resistance, um, whatever, or um, would block it, a nasty charge galloping down it. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hope so. But, but you've got to do your research, particularly people who live in not necessarily flat areas because it will use more charge on on little hills. Now, I'm not yeah. suggesting you're going to drive it up Transmission Gully, for example. That would be fun. I wonder if anyone's ever tried to do that on, on a mobility scooter. I mean, well, they'd have can't. to keep well to the left, wouldn't they? Well, just more how much, yeah, how much battery charge would you use? Oh, yeah, that would be a very good question. Mm. Well, I make sure that I recharge the battery when I use it. Mind you, you've got a little indicator on the... Um, I suppose you've got to say vehicle, and that indicator will show, uh, well, to a certain degree, it shows the level of charge. And if it's getting down into the middle, I would never take it out to go anywhere. I would make sure that I recharge it right up to the top end before I did. Well, get your independence and get a mobility scooter, and that's very logical. Don't feel embarrassed about it. If you maybe have an elderly relative, friend who doesn't get out much, there's a suggestion. Maybe we can, you know, discuss that a bit more next time. So we're almost running out of time, like running out of charge on the scooter, Jill. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point, actually. But, you know, the more you know, the better able you are to make well-informed decisions. And you know that the more relevant your decision is going to be. Wow, what a place to stop <laughs> on some philosophy. Jill, thank you. We look forward to having another discussion in a fortnight. And thank you very much indeed for having me here. Jill Stansfield, our Age-Friendly Cities and Communities program every fortnight here at Coast Access Radio. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.